Hi, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast series brought to you by the Stevens Group. In case you don't already know who the Stevens Group is, we're one of the leading mergers and acquisitions firms in the PR and digital interactive space. I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group, and your host for today. The PR Masters podcast series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. Our guest today is Beth Monahan, CEO of Inkhouse, which she co-founded in 2007 and has grown into one of the top-ranked agencies in the country. Beth has been recognized as one of the top women in PR by PR News, as one of the top 25 innovators by the Holmes Report, and as an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Beth Monahan has written for and been quoted in Forbes, Fortune, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Bloomberg, and many others. Beth believes that shared values and the freedom to create are the foundations of all meaningful work. She brings that philosophy to a building of a culture of creative progress, which we'll talk about a little bit later, to support companies that believe in the tight link between doing well and doing good. Beth does a lot of work outside the office, as well as on such issues as women's equality. She currently chairs the board of directors for the Alliance for Business Leadership, a group of progressive leaders. Beth studied PR, creative writing, music, and journalism at Syracuse University and graduated from its uh, SI Newhouse School of Public Communications. She lives in the Boston area with her husband and two young daughters. Hello, Beth Monahan. Welcome to the PR Master Series, and how are you today? Well, thank you so much, Art. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited for our conversation, and I'm doing great now that I'm talking to you. Oh, wonderful. That's great. So, Beth, your agency, which is headquartered in Waltham, Massachusetts, with offices in San Francisco and New York, you've had extraordinary growth. You're, you're 12 years old. Uh, the agency was started in 2007, but you already have revenues exceeding $20 million. How did you do it? <laughs> how did I do it? Um, I think a healthy level of anxiety is how I did it, or an unhealthy level, I guess. Um, you know, we never set out to be a $20 million agency. We set out to do interesting work. Um, and I think that's what's driven our growth over the years is that we are always focused on finding what's changing in our industry, how can we help our clients meet their business goals, not just with the services that we're offering today, but what kinds of services do we need to offer tomorrow? Um, and that's what keeps me coming back every day, because if it gets boring, um, I'm probably not going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're an advocate, as I've seen from your bio, and, and also because you, know, you and I know each other now a little bit. Mm -hmm. You're an advocate of quality of life in the workplace. And how did this evolve in your business, and how, how do you distinguish what you've done from other agencies? Well, I've, quality of life is something that we used to think was separate from work. And it's certainly how I began my career. I just thought, well, you're supposed to kill yourself at work so you can be successful at work. Um, and it's how I started Ink House. I used to work around the clock before I had children. Um, and then one day, 
my daughter, my first daughter, I think was 18 months old and I've told this story before, but she was homesick, but she was well enough to go to the park. So I'm at the park with her. I'm trying to do email. She's going down the slide and she runs right into me. And when I look up, she's disappointed because I didn't see what she had done. And I also had just sent a semi-coherent email to a client. And it was just one of those moments in time where I realized I was doing both of my jobs fairly badly. And it was the beginning of waking up to what it meant to have quality of life. And so I began thinking, well, if I'm going to have a daughter, I better spend time with her. So I started putting my phone down in the evenings when I was with her, and I would get back online around 8 o'clock. But as that evolved, I realized I had two fears. I had one intense fear at the time. Or two. One was that I wouldn't be there for her, and the other was that if I was there for her, I would go out of business because I wouldn't be able to work as hard. Um, and a crazy thing happened that just shifted my whole point of view, which was that I got better at my job when I took a little space from it. And that really has just kind of grown over time where I realize when people have interests outside of the office and have the um, permission to take care of their well-being outside and inside the office, they come back to the office with more energy, better ideas, and better quality of work. Hmm. Do you feel that you that uh, uh, that you still may have some workaholics, you know, in your firm uh, <laughs> that course. you have to deal with and, and, and pull the reins back on them? Yeah, we do. I mean, so that is the heritage of public relations agencies. Um, And I I joke that I want to be an agency where, you know, you don't have to burn out to do this because that is the reputation every agency has. And I I think that a lot of agencies are doing lots to try and transform that. But I want to be an agency where you can actually have children and, and, and have a life outside of work. So, um, is it something that, but I think PR attracts type A workaholics. So we have, for example, one of our policies is that we offer unlimited vacation. And every summer when we get to June um, or July, I have our general managers all go check to see who hasn't taken vacation. And if you haven't taken vacation yet this year, they go remind you that you should probably take a vacation. And I think, you know, I do that at night when I'm leaving. If people are still here, I remind them that it's okay to go home. And it's um, it's a culture that we're trying to build, and certainly there's a lot more work to be done. But, it you know, it takes time to catch on, and I think we're trying to make it catch on as fast as we possibly can. Did you say, did I hear you correctly, Beth? Did you say you have unlimited vacation? We do. We have unlimited vacation, and we've banned email between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. When you say unlimited vacation, does that mean uh, each person can take whatever length of vacation he or she chooses? Um, So if you want to take more than two weeks, so you can take up to two weeks at a time, but you have unlimited vacation throughout the year. Wow. Do people take advantage of that? I mean, uh, yeah, they do. And I'm glad they do. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, uh, concern that always gets presented to me from an external point of view is that, well, what if you have somebody who takes too many vacation days and I'm not really worried about somebody who takes too many vacation days because we are accountable to our coworkers and we have responsible people who have good judgment, which is one of our values. 
Um, so really, you know, vacation becomes a scapegoat for complaints about people who aren't doing their job. And so the question becomes, is it vacation that they're taking too much or are they just not getting the job done and not being careful and considerate about their coworkers? Well, uh, you may be the only firm that I've ever heard of that has a policy of unlimited vacation. I, I would imagine that, um, you know, that uh, prospective employees might flock to your firm as a result of that policy. Well, we're hiring, so bring them in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I would imagine, though, that you know, given that kind of a, of a policy, uh, there is there's a caveat too, and that is you know respect for the firm and respect for your your coworkers and respect for the clients and the work that needs to be done. So I would imagine yes. that nobody would take uh, excessive advantage of that kind of uh, luxury option. Right. Well, that's, we live by our values, and in that instance, you know, that we have ten values. One of them is we use good judgment. Another one of our values is that we are a team first. So um, if you're getting married, your team is going to make sure that you can take, you know, your honeymoon no matter what, right? But if you just need to take a couple of days off and can be flexible and there happens to be a massive client launch going on, then we, you know, we try to all be considerate of one another. And, you know, that's why we have values. Um, I, I don't want to legislate all of those things, but, you know, we we hire people who, care about each other and want to be part of a community, and that's, that's part of the deal. So you, you, you talked about, uh, obviously, vacation. Um, what other policies do you have that demonstrate, you know, you're, that you are a, a, a true advocate of quality of life in the workplace? Sure. Um, so we've banned, I mentioned this, but we banned email between the hours of 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. Wow. I think we did that four years ago. Um, because I really do think that when you are tethered to your email, I mean, I've never had a good idea while I'm just staring at my email all day. So I, I think it's just healthy to step away from your work. Um, and I think that that kind of a policy encourages people to do so. Certainly there are exceptions to that rule, um, which is why we have cell phones. That you can call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what about, uh, for example, what, what, what is your policy on maternity leave? Oh, sure. Um, so we offer um, parental leave, not so for well, the primary caregiver gets 16 weeks off, um, whoever that ends up being. And that way we take care of our gay and lesbian paid, folks. Paid leave? Yep, paid leave. Yeah, we've okay. been part of the, um, you know, it's something I care very, very much about. Um, I have testified in favor of the paid leave legislation here in Massachusetts where we are headquartered, which we passed a year ago, um, with mandatory paid leave in the state. We also operate in two other states that have passed similar laws, and we are in favor of those. Um, there was a study that I believe Google did um, where they looked at when they increased their leave for women um, from let's see, 12 weeks to 16 weeks, they increased the rate at which women came back to work by 50%. And so wow. I just think that, wow. you know, we need to support people when they're having life events so that they support us in our business events. Yeah. So, uh, Beth, in 12 years, you have exceeded $20 million. Uh, you know, I know you indicated that you never really expected, uh, you know, to reach a certain number, but, uh, uh, when you co-founded the agency some 12 years ago, but you obviously did. So what do you attribute uh, that growth to, um, and how do you feel that, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the 
your uh, position on quality of life has had a, an effect on the growth of the firm? Um, well, how did so? How did we really grow? I think we are. Um, I think that those two things are tied together. Um, but our, my position on quality of life certainly isn't the primary thing that has helped us grow. It has helped us recruit some of the best people, um, which helps us grow. But what has helped us grow is that we have a culture of creativity, and so I think that if you have quality of life, you are inherently more creative. By the way, if you are rested, you are inherently more creative. But it also requires us to have a culture where you're allowed to fail. Because if you are um, penalized for failure, then we're not going to get your best ideas. So we need to have a culture where change is um, of value. And we have always had that as our culture. We also have a culture that's pretty scrappy. So just because you know you don't have formal training in how to do X, Y, and Z doesn't mean you can't do it here. If you have a good idea, then please come give us your good idea and we'll help you see if it works. Um, because we, we work with the media and their business model is fraught and it's changing every single day. Social media is the exact same way, and we the only thing I know is that our jobs change in some foundational way every year, and so I need a team of people who um, don't get stuck in process, which is one of our other values. We value progress over process um, and can kind of see where our progress needs to go and focus there. So, Beth, does your firm uh, uh, focus on particular niches, or are you a general agency? Would you describe you know, what what uh, your client base is made up of? Sure. Um, I'd say we're probably 50% of our work is in um, technology, and that spans from cybersecurity to um, consumer technology, um, like Molecule, the you know, air purifiers. Um, so we do a lot in technology, but a lot of it is in the business-to-business -business side. We also do a lot of work in higher education, um, in healthcare. We just recently hired Brendan Monahan without a G, um, to head up our healthcare practice. Um, and then we have a consumer practice as well. So we're um, – and, and a corporate. I can't forget corporate. We do a ton of corporate work. By the way, uh, Beth, uh, this is apropos of nothing, but I just wanted you to know that I first uh, heard the name Monaghan when I was uh, five years old because the principal of the elementary school I went to in New York uh, was Miss Monaghan, and she oh, really? was a distinguished lady, and uh, I think you might be the first uh, Monaghan that I've really run into ever since uh, my elementary school days. Oh, my goodness. So that, well, That's a total aside, isn't it? <laughs> that's very funny. You were destined to meet me, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Good Inc. is our um, answer to corporate social responsibility. And it, it came about, um, we spent a year, what year was that, 2018, um, doing a ton of crisis work, more um, than I saw in my entire career prior to that. And the atmosphere that we are operating in has just brought forth a lot of negativity. And so one of the things that we have discovered, um, particularly because millennials have demanded it, is that organizations stand for their values and they stand for something. And it, there's a lot of data that backs that up, but consumers want to do business with organizations they believe in. And so we, 
we this needs to be not just a um, oh, I'm going to go donate money to this charity over here and sponsor this initiative over here. Um, it needs to be tied to your corporate values, and you need to be able to stand for those values when tested. And so what we do is work really closely with our clients to figure out, okay, here, what are, you, what are your value statements? You know, very often they already have those, but if they don't, we can help them craft those. And then what are the issues um, that map to those and how can you actually make an impact there and how can you live those values um, through doing good in the communities around you, in your own workplace, um, and, and with your client base. Okay. Okay. So Beth, you know, uh, as CEO of Inkhouse, um, you have been recognized, as I indicated earlier, as one of the top women in PR by PR News, as one of the top 25 innovators by the Holmes Report, and as an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Um, obviously, you have honed your skills uh, in terms of how to manage a public relations firm and also, obviously, how to provide service to clients to, you know, to, to merit those awards by uh, our industry publications uh, and obviously your peers as well. Um, how have you uh, honed your management style, you know, over the years to merit this kind of praise? Uh, I know you talked about, you know, the, the balance between quality of life and, and of course the workplace, but are there any other criteria that you seem to fill in your being selected by these very important trade publications as uh, one of the top women in public relations? Well, there aren't that many women in top positions. Don't be modest. Don't be modest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not joking. So, I mean, I will give you a real answer, but the truth is that there aren't that many women at the top of PR firms. And so we get honored when we are, and I appreciate that very much because that needs to happen so more women can follow in our wake. But public relations, while it is comprised 70 to 80% of women, um, it's kind of the percentages are flip-flopped when you get to the top positions of management and PR. So we have a lot of work to do, and if PR can't do it, I don't know which in industry can. Um, so I say a lot of provocative things about that, um, but I also say provocative things about the PR agency industry. So I have said in the past that the agency model is broken, and I have meant it, um, and I have suggested other things to do, like work-life balance. But I've also suggested that, you know, the model where you have a set number of services and your your clients can just choose from them is also broken. We need to go with what works as opposed to what we have done for the last 10 years. Um, so I'm willing to be provocative about those things. And in good news, our growth um, gives me a little credibility when I say it. So I think, you know, it's nice to get recognized. But, I you know, I try to only be provocative about the things that I truly believe in. So uh, when you say that you feel the agency m model is broke, um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Um, you know, we uh, obviously, as you know, I have come out of the agency world myself, uh, having uh, founded and led a, a, a firm in New York City for a number of years. Mm. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, as you uh, uh, being being uh, uh, privy to the world of change that has come about, you know, in the services and the, and the tools that public relations firms use. 
Um, so maybe you could elaborate on that. I think our listeners will be very interested in your perspective on uh, both the negative and the positive, how, you know, how they are broke, but also how they can be fixed. Yeah. So the first way that it's broken is that um, we used to just kind of churn out robots who would read scripts and pitch reporters. Um, and I don't think that's a meaningful way to build a career or a business. So we've, the industry has changed since I got into it in the, in the mid nineties. And, um, but that's kind of what I came into, right? Here's your pitch. You're going to go call these 100 people and then we're going to have a meeting and you're going to report back who you talk to. And we need to get the media's interest, but I, I don't think that's a meaningful way to do it. Um, I think we have to be thoughtful and creative and smart about it. We have to understand the press in the ways that we require our clients to understand their clients and their customer bases. We have to be useful to them and think about what they've written and what might be interesting to them that they haven't written about. Um, the second way that the agency model is broken is that we – the agency, when I started, you know, we offered analyst relations, we offered media relations, and we offered speaking engagements. Um, and those were just our three buckets. And if, you know, you wanted anything else or you wanted to change the price of any of those, you know, we didn't do it. And I, I appreciate set pricing, but I also appreciate that the tactics for each client are going to be so vastly different um, depending on who they're trying to reach. And so the programs need to be customized. And so we are our model is an integrated model where we um, have media relations people, we have social media people, we have digital marketing, we have creative people, and they all sit on one team together. And they don't say, okay, I'm going to do this media relations program or this social media program. They sit down and they say, what are the client's goals? Okay, now we're going to craft a program that probably spans all of those things, but we might amplify social media over here to reach this particular customer. We might do an email newsletter to reach these 100 customers because we know exactly who they are. So we go in with a mindset of what will actually work as opposed to what are the constructs that we've created for our clients to work within. And then the third way, of course, which we already talked about, is just how um, people burn out in agencies, and we need to find a better way to um, get them working and successful in the agency world. Um, so speaking of the agency world, I, I just wanted to go back to your the earlier part of your career. You went to uh, Newhouse, uh, which is obviously one of the most distinguished uh, uh, educational institutions for the world of public relations and marketing communications and what have you. Did you know when you went to a new house that you wanted to go into public relations, or uh, is that something that came later in terms of how you got into it? <laughs> it came much later. You know, I wanted to be a creative writer or to be a concert flautist, and <laughs> I was too practical to do either of those two things. And so I was looking around for a major, and I was looking around at all the schools that were at Syracuse because I started off in English as an English major. And I said, oh, well, public relations lets me do a lot of writing. And so honestly, that's how I chose it. And what were your first jobs in public relations? Well, let's see, my first jobs. So I interned at Carrier Corporation in Syracuse. Um, and then I, 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 um, I volunteered for a congressman who was running up there and did media relations for him when I was in school. And then when I graduated, I ended up working at Schwartz Communications um, in Boston. Um, oh, yes. 
where I started my career and during the tech bubble, and it was a crazy way to start a career, but a really um, fast-moving one, and I learned so much that helped shape the rest of my career there. What made you decide to start your, your or, or co-found? I guess you, you co-founded the firm with somebody else who I gather is, is not part of the organization anymore, but what made you decide to start your own firm? That's a, that's a, a pretty big step for anybody. Um, I know about that because I did it myself <laughs> some time ago, but what made you decide to actually start your own firm? You know, I <laughs> I feel bad for the woman I worked for at the time because, you know, I had all of these ideas and I didn't own the firm and, you know, when you, what I really needed to do was quit and start my own firm and I didn't know that for a long time, but at the time the things that I was thinking about were social media and I kept it was 2006 when I had I was a VP of PR at another agency and um Facebook had just launched and Twitter had just launched and blogging was new and I was fascinated with this stuff and just felt like it was going to have a huge impact on public relations. And at the same time, um, the woman I founded Inc. House with um, was a former coworker. We worked together at a venture capital firm before that. And she would call me every once in a while and ask me if I wanted to quit my job because she was a freelancer and she had a couple of clients and she was getting busy. And one day she asked me and I said yes. And I was like, yeah, I actually do. <laughs> so, she picked the right day, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. So that was the beginning. So uh, so you have become a very successful entrepreneur. Um, how do you spend your time at the agency? I mean, obviously, you are a, a creative person. Um, you obviously uh, uh, find great uh, uh, comfort in anything you do that is creative, but at the same time, you have to manage a business. So how do you spend your time? Yeah. Um, I spent – so I, I travel a bit. We have three offices. Um, I'm headquartered – I'm at our headquarters in, in Massachusetts, but we have offices in Manhattan and also in downtown San Francisco. So I spend a good amount of time – you know, I try to visit the offices as much as I can. Um, and when I do that, I'm seeing clients there. I'm spending time with our people and trying to understand what's going on there um, and really – so I'm, I'm focused on two things I, with clients. So I do a lot of messaging sessions with clients. I do a lot of new business meetings, um, and I like to catch up with clients one-on-one -on -one whenever I can. And what I'm trying to get at is what are the trends that have an impact on their jobs? Um, because every year I'm trying to think about where are we going next in public relations and what is going to shift. So I spend a lot of time with clients trying to figure that out. And then on the other hand, I spend a lot of time with employees because I believe that if our employees are happy and well-trained and capable, then our clients will also be happy. So I spend a lot of time trying to make sure I have my fingers on the pulse of what's driving our employees and what, what programs do we need to shift for them, what kinds of trainings do we need, um, and you know what kinds of benefits are they really enjoying and what else can I do to create an environment that makes them keep wanting to come back every day. So what, what kind of training programs do you have for your employees? We have, we have tons of training programs. Um, a lot, of, most of our trainings are obviously focused on the work, you know, media relations, writing, um, how to be a good manager. Um, cause I think it's the hardest step between 
senior account executive and manager because the skills it took you to be an SAE are usually the opposite of the skills it takes you to be a good manager. Um, so we spend a lot of time on that. Um, but outside of that, we do other types of trainings that um, build community but are also training. So for example, I just launched an essay contest um, where we're going to do work, writing workshops. Our first one is tomorrow in Waltham, Massachusetts, um, and then we'll do them in New York and San Francisco. But all of the participants in the essay contest get one-on-one -on -one workshops with a writing coach, and everyone at Inkhouse gets to attend the workshop itself. So this is about how to, how to write well. It's not about how to write an essay. It's about how, what is the craft of writing and what can you learn about how to craft a good story. At the end, um, I have cash prizes for the top three essays, but we're going to publish a book with the top 20. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What do you think is the state of, uh, uh, of writing uh, uh, ability on the part of people uh, uh, joining PR firms today? Well, I think writing is the number one skill you need to be good at public relations. Um, A, because you're right, like our, our communications are written more than ever. Um, we don't call people anymore. We write. Um, but we have to write for our clients with their voice. We have to write press rules. I mean, it's just writing is everywhere. Um, the skill level, I'm not sure how it has changed. All I know is that we have a writing test, which is pretty rigorous, that you have to pass to work here. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, obviously uh, you feel that uh, writing is a very vital skill in public relations, which, which of course it is. I, I think you know everybody would agree with that. Um, and uh, uh, but it, obviously, in addition to basic writing, which is you know the content part of public relations, yeah. how do you think that public relations has changed since uh, you co-founded Inkhouse in 2007? And what do you envision to be the future of public relations? Will it continue uh, in its present form, although with obviously uh, continuing technological breakthroughs, or will it change in substance in some way? What's your vision? Well, um, there are fewer reporters than when I started in PR, I think half actually. So getting media coverage is not only harder because the pool of reporters is smaller, but it is also um, it is also more polarized. So I think to get press coverage, you have to say something fairly controversial. Um, and that's not always true. There's features, there's lots of other stuff, but the best way to get attention is to say something controversial. And that is not um, a criticism of reporters. It is a criticism of, you know, our culture because it, it's true on social media as well. Um, so I'm, I've been spending a lot of time. So last year we did a, a research project called Project Curiosity where um, I hired a former museum curator who went looking for places in the world where people um, encounter new ideas in non-confrontational ways. So she went to um, museums, she went to barbershops, bookstores, uh, all sorts of places. She talked to neuroscientists. And out of that project came 10 ways of communicating that actually do what public relations was intended to do in the first place, which is to build community and bring people closer to you. Um, and so we, 
we've been recommending these as the fuel for PR, and I think that is a much harder way to do our job. But I think that for the sake of humanity, we have to try because these are these are strategies that are not based in fear, but based in um, coming together around things that we all share in common. So you guys are really all about innovation, creativity, and uh, in effect, you know, uh, uh, free expression. We sure are. And and how do we communicate with people in a way that doesn't turn them off? How do we communicate with them? Because no one's been beaten into submission and liked it. So <laughs> how do we communicate in a way that encourages discourse, that brings people toward us, that um, in, that respects differing points of view? Um, because that is the way that the world should be. And when I when you ask me where is public relations going, I hope it is going in that direction. Um, tactically, public relations is um, being changed because the value of a placement in the press isn't what it used to be. You know, it used to be that you got awareness and um, credibility through a piece of media coverage. And both of those two things are still true, but the awareness piece is harder because fewer people are reading the press. They're kind of getting it through news alerts. So part of our job is making sure people see it. And in doing that, um, I, I, I employ all of those things that I was just talking about. Like, how do we draw people toward us? How do we, and to our clients, so that's our main mission. How do we create community as opposed to polarizing people so that they think that we're opinionated jerks, <laughs> who some people like, but the goal is to create community. Well, you, you obviously, as, as part of your persona, uh, you expand what you do for clients and uh, and your employees. You you uh, go out into call it the greater community uh, because you give a lot of your time to other organizations and uh, causes. Um, first of all, how do you find the time to do it, and why is it important to you? I know one of your deep interests is women's equality. Um, so t tell us about how you're able to manage you know uh, being out there as well as running a business. <laughs> well, you know, I think that we create our own schedules and you make time for the things that matter, and that's just the way it goes. Um, and so I say no to a lot of things. Um, so I um, I say no to all sorts of things. I only do one event per week at night so I can be with my kids. Um, I don't watch TV anymore because that was something I had to give up to do all these other things. But why do I engage in other in, in public policy issues? Um, I do it because I think that I have a responsibility to do it, um, particularly around issues for which I can have influence. So when you just look at what happens um, at the state level when there's a policy like equal pay, which um, we, we legislated here in Massachusetts, or paid leave, which we also legislated. And then last year there was an effort to um, – repeal a transgender law that basically protected transgender rights in public spaces, and that always becomes the bathroom issue, which is frustrating. But um, I stand up for those things because I think that um, when all voices are heard, we have a better perspective on what's going on in the world. So it is our job as public relations people to know what different groups are thinking and feeling. And if we don't have a workplace that's reflective of all of those points of view, how can we possibly communicate to them? Um, and so do I stay, I stand up for people who don't have voices and should, and I happen to be a female CEO 
with some good revenue and when people show up to testify at the state house, it's usually the advocacy groups who show up. Um, and when a business person stands up and says, here's the business case for why equal pay makes sense, and here's the business case for all of these other things, um, it really helps. And I hope more will join me. For you. Good for you. Um, I wanted to ask you if you're still playing the flute. <laughs> I don't. I wish I did. But my creative outlet these days is writing. Okay. Um, I sing in the car, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the windows are down, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 they're up. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, a few a few final questions, Beth, and I appreciate, you know, your time uh, uh, answering all these uh, uh, diverse questions about about your firm and what your what your uh, uh, observations are of the uh, world of PR in general and uh, and, uh, and uh, some insight in terms of your thinking. Uh, a few questions about uh, yourself. Uh, first of all, um, who are your heroes? Do you have any heroes that you, you know, you have turned to in the past? Uh, uh, both people who have been in your life and people who perhaps have, are part of history. Who are your heroes? Well, I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but you know, my, you know, my heroes are people who have come into my life at times when I just really needed help and they just kind of arrived right on time. You know, like I had a doula after I had my first daughter who utterly saved my life um, and I will be indebted to her for the rest of my life. And my writing coach and my editor, like these people show up exactly when I need them and shift my perspective in some way um, that helps open me up to the possibilities that are in front of me um, when I'm, you know, when I'm in a vulnerable position. So, um, you know, those are the people who I try to keep close. Sounds like a, like a lot of good karma out there for you. Yeah, karma is a real thing. <laughs> So what are your hobbies? Do you have any hobbies aside from uh, having once played the flute? And do you do any creative writing outside of the agency? Uh, and things I do. Along, along those lines? So I get up at 4.30 every day and do personal writing. And I've been doing it for, I don't know, five years. Hmm. Um, and I read, I, read, I read volumes and volumes. Wow. Um, so what type of writing do you do? When you say personal, usually like, oh no, it's not fiction. It's usually so I do a ton of writing for work, and sometimes I use my morning time for that. Um, but you know, my personal writing is more like personal essay writing um, around ah, different okay. things that I really care about. Yeah. Okay. Do you, uh, are any of them published? Not yet. Oh, oh okay. 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 Stay tuned. No, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I don't even do it. Um, it's not my goal. My goal, it's, it's, I think it is one of the most, um, I think that writing is such a powerful act of consciousness, and it's just a way to be wide awake about your motives in the world and how you want to be in the world, and um, I, I haven't found anything else that can replicate it. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, where, do you, where do you see Beth Monahan in the years ahead? What are your goals for the years ahead? You're a relatively young person, Beth, so you've got lots of years ahead of you. And uh, uh, what do you what do you look for? You know, I try not to make predictions about where I will end up. Um, I always kind of feel like if you are paying attention to the dissonance and the resonance that 
you know, kind of hits you every single day um, and you're being awake to who you're meant to be and what kind of path you're meant to be on and what your skills are, then you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Um, and I, so I don't, I don't know what that will look like, but um, it will be somewhere where I'm doing creative things, where I get to make change happen and where, um, you know, somebody, where I'm with people who share the same values that I have. Okay. So next to the last question, just so you know, we're headed toward the, uh, uh, the uh, end of this uh, very, very, very illuminating discussion. What is your view of where our country is today? <laughs> oh, my. Um, you know, I think that we are in a space where so many people are deeply scared. And I understand that. And I think that w people, when we are scared, we um, we tend to clamp down on the things that we know because we can control those things, um, or we can kind of cling to them because, like, okay, here's my faith, here's my view, and here's my part of the country. And I think um, we are in a polarized state of things. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in Wisconsin last year talking to dairy farmers for one of our clients, and I just um, I was illuminated by meeting them because these are people who haven't really left their farms much because they can't afford to. And so their view is really just the communities in which they live. Um, and the farmers who are going organic do so because their families are dying of cancer from all of the chemicals. Um, and I think that people who live in urban centers would think that farmers are going organic because they care about the environment. And so we share a love for organic, but for two very, very different reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just one one data point in, in a country full of that kind of stuff. But I think we are, um, it's, it's why I did Project Curiosity, because we need to remember that we're all, we all share some very human things, fear and vulnerability being one of them. Um, and, you know, we kind of need to remember why we're all part of the same country. Mm. So my final question to you, Beth Monahan, uh, CEO of Inkhouse, um, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, I don't know. As somebody who cared. Okay. Do you want to elaborate on that, or do you want to, or do you think mm -hmm. that 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 says it all? I don't know. I I don't really think about how I, when you're gone, you're gone. Um, you know. I would like to be somebody who does what I can while I'm here and, you know, history can judge what I did or my family. Um, I just, I would like to be remembered as somebody who came into the world with eyes wide open and did the best I could. Well said, well said. So Beth Monahan, on behalf of our listeners, I thank you for joining us today and sharing your views with us. And I thank you all for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I am Art Stevens wishing you all the very best.